Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Daryl Gwynn and Greg Anderson here to talk top fuel history and pro stock. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. And on top of that, we'll preview the Gator Nationals for this weekend. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. It's Gator Nationals week, baby. It is a big one here in the NHRA Tour at the East Coast kickoff of the season. In a lot of ways, I feel like this is almost the start of the season. We finally start to get some momentum behind us here as the gap between the races starts to close a little. We do have a bit of a, a one-week layoff after, a two-week layoff after the Gator Nationals before we go to Vegas. But after that, the train really pulls out of the station. It is going to be a very warm weekend this coming weekend in Gainesville, Florida, the warmest we have seen on the NHRA Tour in a very long long time warmer than really any race we saw during the countdown warmer than of course the first two races of the season high temperatures in the mid to high 80s in Gainesville 85 86 87 in that area so um, all of that will play into how the cars run all of that will play into who's able to succeed all of that will play into who ends up hoisting a wally on Sunday afternoon at one of the most historic races on the tour the 51st running of the Amelie Oil Gator Nationals down at Gainesville Raceway in Florida. Can't wait. Can't wait to get this thing kicked off on Thursday with sportsman action. And then, of course, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll be seeing the pros making their qualifying and elimination runs. Car counts, we have 17 top fuelers. That number was larger. We had some racers back out, Lex June among them, as Lex uh, unable to, I guess, get the car prepared to his satisfaction to head down to Gainesville and be fully up to snuff with it. And Nitro Funny Car, it is 16 cars on the sheet this weekend, including Dave Richards among them, John Smith in there as well. So we got some names that uh, we see infrequently, but great to see them back on the tour. Paul Lee will be sporting the FTI colors in a new paint scheme for the 2020 running of the Gator Nationals. In the Pro Stock category, 19 entries in Pro Stock, which has been kind of the story of the season, the story of last season too. We have Kyle Koretsky making his professional debut in the Pro Stock category. Kyle did a spectacular job driving the KB-powered Nitro Fish Camaro down at the World Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando, running repeatedly in the 640s. They had some incredible atmospheric conditions down there, and he took full advantage, as did all the KB racing cars. And we will definitely check out uh, Greg Anderson's impressions of how that race went when we get him on the show today. Marty Robertson is back. Vincent Nobile back in the seat of a pro stock car. John Gatosh is back in pro stock. Bob Benza is back in pro stock. And we go down the line, we're going to see Shane Tucker back again this weekend as well. All of the things are looking very, very favorable for the pro stock category in Gainesville. Notable absences include the Quadras. None of the Quadras are entered in pro stock for the first time in at least a year, maybe longer than that, as Fernando's been running consistently the last couple of seasons. But me thinks that they're working on their engine program. Me hopes that we see them the next time the pro stock class is contested. Pro Stock Motorcycle Front, we have almost two dozen of those bad boys. 22 Pro Stock bikes on the entry sheet, including all your favorite runners. Returning champion Andrew Hines, Jerry Savoie, Matt Smith, Karen Stouffer, 
all the all the riders that you'd expect to see, and including some coming back into the fold. How about Chris Bostick? How about Chip Ellis? Mark Ingerson coming back. Dave Barron. Um, Corey Reed. Great to see his name back on the sheet as well. So as we run down this list and we look at Joey Gladstone and others, Lance Bonham, you know, it's great to see those names. Pro Modified, 34 cars entered in Pro Modified, the E3 Spark Plugs Pro Mod class this weekend. It will only be 33 because of the fact Stevie Fast Jackson wrecked a car in Orlando. He wrecked the supercharged Bahrain 1 Camaro in a top-end incident, pulled the parachute out, and the car simply made a left-hand turn, and that was all she wrote. That car is going to require extensive repairs. Jeffrey Barker was supposed to be driving a Bahrain 1 Nitrous Camaro for the team in Gainesville. Jeffrey, a multiple-time top sportsman world champion in NHRA, is going to run a limited schedule with Stevie Fast Jackson this year in the Bahrain 1 racing team. Well, he has abdicated his seat for Gainesville to allow Stevie Fast to run. And this adds a very interesting wrinkle into Pro Modified for Gainesville. There is no love lost anymore between Ricky Smith and Stevie Fast Jackson, especially the way things went down at the end of last season with the controversy that crept up in Charlotte and kind of a um, unhappy schism that developed amongst the Bahrain 1 team of which Ricky was a part. He is now back on his own with sponsorship from Strutmasters. I speak of Ricky Smith. Khaled Belushi still part of the Bahrain 1 team, as is now Justin Bond in a centrifugally supercharged car, Jeffrey Barker running the limited schedule in the nitrous car, and Stevie Fast was planning to run his car, the supercharged entry, the entire season with the roots blower on it. So now he is going to get things kicked off running a nitrous car, not only in the same category as, as Ricky Smith, in the same configuration race car. So there is going to be a lot of... Um, bragging rights a lot of yapping a lot of talking between those two guys i'm sure as the season goes on and it's going to be very entertaining but right now those two fellas are not on each other's christmas card lists the nitrous cars in my opinion may be the favorite combination by the time we get to sunday with these warm temperatures and a little bit of humidity in the air the nitrous cars have a decided advantage in the sense that nitrous oxide is almost a natural intercooler it comes out of that bottle at 130 degrees below zero and with the humidity you can actually run the cars a little bit more aggressively because the humidity acts to um, help delay help stave off detonation so you can run a little bit more timing and a little bit more timing in a 900 cubic inch engine with multiple kits of nitrous on it means a lot more horsepower so pro modified as it always is will be very very entertaining to watch and of course we can't Talk about this race without the return of Factory Stock Showdown. There are two dozen cars in Factory Stock Showdown with the likes of returning champion Drew Skillman. His dad, Bill Skillman, is back. Chris Holbrook is there. The Fords are out in force. The premier Fords in the country will be there. The premier Chevrolets in the country and the premier Challengers as well. Mark Powick back in the category for 2020, as is Leah Pruitt, amongst others. So, again, the Gator Nationals are always stacked Um, We're going to see some great racing this weekend. And, you know, it's a little bit of a wacky time in the world these days. You know, we got all kinds of stuff going on, whether we're talking about coronavirus or whatever else, or price of oil. Things are fluctuating pretty wildly, but very glad to see we do at least have some stability in our drag racing here with what's to come at the Gator Nationals this weekend.
Interesting um, weekend lined up. It is the 30th anniversary of Daryl Gwynn's final win on the NHRA Championship Drag Racing Tour. That's one of the things we're going to be talking to Daryl about when he comes on the show. He will be the first guest, and Daryl Gwynn is a spectacular human being, of course, has overcome so much in his life after his 1990 accident. But I don't really want to talk to him about the accident stuff today or what happened after. I want to talk about his career. I want to talk about when he was in his heyday and his prime in the 80s, his relationship with different racers. And I want to get some good stories out of this guy because ultimately when it comes down to telling stories drag racers are among the best in the world to listen to some good old-fashioned wackiness from the pits or weird stuff that happened over the years or even some of the insight into how they pulled off some of their most notable and significant victories our television coverage will be wide-ranging this weekend we have television shows on friday evening at 8 p.m then we have one at late night you got to want to dvr the the 1 a.m broadcast on Saturday, we also have a late show, but then Sunday, our elimination show is in the evening. So make sure you go to NHRA.com, get the entire broadcast schedule for the Gator Nationals. You're not going to want to miss it. Last year, we had great audiences watching the 50th running of that race. And you got to remember, last year, we had some really awesome action throughout the course of the weekend. It, it was, you know, it was. Kenny Delco running deep into the rounds. It was Richie Crampton winning in the final against Clay Milliken. It was Robert Height winning in the final against uh, his competition in Nitro Funny Car. And it was Andrew Hines setting world records and going on to hoist that golden wally at the end of the Gator Nationals in 2019. Multiple day sellout last year. And even with the threat of weather, it was a multiple day sellout. And this year, there is no weather threat. It's the only weather threat is it's going to be warm, which means you're going to have to, uh, you know, drink a little extra water, maybe put on a little extra sunscreen or maybe head down to the beer garden for one extra time over the course of your stay at Gainesville. Sportsman category is all very well populated as the Baby Gators were last weekend, the giant divisional race, hundreds and hundreds of competitors in classes ranging from A-Fuel Dragster right down to Stock Eliminator were racing on the track last weekend. Many of those racers hang around and race in the national event as well. Just to double down again on our Friday, Saturday, and Sunday windows for television on Friday, we have a, like as I mentioned, a late night broadcast that is going to run at 2 a.m. So you're going to want to DVR that. It is Saturday at 8 p.m. We're going to be uh, tape delayed for qualifying session three. And then again, it is a late night qualifying session four show on Saturday morning or early Sunday morning. DVR that. And then at 9.30 p.m. on Sunday, the finals will run. You can go to NHRA.com to get that rundown as well. So what happened last weekend? Well, last weekend, outside of the Baby Gators, there was the World Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando. And that's one of the reasons I want to have Greg Anderson on the show today is because he was the runner-up to Jay Coughlin at that event. And again, in conditions that really were suited to making big horsepower, to getting maximum out of the chassis, Greg Anderson rose to the occasion. And we had not seen that car run particularly well over the first two races of the year. So I want to talk to Greg about how they have righted the ship and how strong the KB contingent looked last weekend. Matt Hartford was the number one qualifier running KB power this year. K, uh, rather, Kyle Koretsky ran very well, ran into the 40s, and again, very comfortable in his pro stock car. So I want to find out from Greg exactly, well, he won't tell me exactly, but he'll tell me in some semblance how they have managed to turn the corner and get themselves back into what I would consider a very competitive position in the pro stock category. So that is the 
update. That is the preview. That is the look into what we should expect, what we should understand about this 51st running of the Amelie Oil Gator Nationals. And as fun as all that is, it's time to welcome a legend onto the show, and it's time to get down to the real stories. So we welcome our first guest onto the NHRA Insider Podcast. For the first time, I welcome Mr. Daryl Gwynn. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Brian, and I think a lot of you. And uh, let's let's get it going. Yeah, let's get it going, man. It's uh, it's great to catch up with you. Obviously, we're talking uh, the 1990 season was a big year for a lot of stuff in NHRA. Of course, you won the 1990 Gator Nationals. You beat uh, Eddie Hill in the final round, and it was at night. So, if you can walk me through that Sunday, because you guys, as you had been for the last several seasons, had a really strong weekend. Uh, packed in a couple of four second runs over the course of that weekend, and I guess walk me through the uh, walk me through the race win in 1990. Well, um, going back a year before, we kind of uh, you know we won the year before too, and that was uh, you know we just worked really really hard all day on race day to try and get the thing figured out in '89, and and got us a win in the final. We really stepped all over it in '89, and then '90 we just kind of uh, you know we had a fast car all weekend and. Um, you know, it ended up that, uh, you know, Gainesville, if I believe if I'm correct, back then didn't even have any lights. Correct. We, were running, <laughs> we were running the final at night, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It was dark as 18 feet up a bull, but, you know, come the, come the final round. And, uh, you know, it just kind of reminded me of the days when I used to sit in the grandstands uh, as a kid and watch uh, – Clayton Harris run down through there at eight o'clock at night with no lights on. And, uh, you know, here I was 30 years later doing the same thing and winning the Gator Nationals in my home state two years in a row. And, uh, you know, life was great. Well, it's, you know? it's, it's, it's a cool thing. And I'm glad you mentioned the darkness element of it because in your, uh, in your top and interview after you won the race with Steve Evans, you start to say something. And I don't expect you to remember this because it's total minutiae from 30 years ago, but you start to say something about racing at night here is, and then you caught yourself and you kind of switch the subject. So I'm sure, there yeah. was, I'm sure there was something good coming there, but you stopped yourself from getting yourself in trouble. <laughs> well, the, the other thing about it too, Brian, was for me emotionally, um, Every single friend stayed, you know, because traditionally all the South Florida people would drive home on Sunday night to be back at work or sure. whatever for Monday. And, you know, all my friends stayed, everybody stayed, and it was one hell of a winter circle celebration. We had hundreds of people in the winter circle, and, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it was it was made for – a book for a guy like me that raced that grew up going to the very first Gator Nationals, you know. Yeah. So those are those are good things when you when you when you're, you know, in 1970 when you're peeking through the holes of the fence, <laughs> just being able to see Big Daddy Don Garlitz running, and then you know, in the 90s and 80s you were winning the Gator Nationals. Um, it's a pretty good feeling, you know? Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's an absolutely incredible thing. And, you know, I think one of the other neat things about that particular final was, you know, obviously your youth in, in 1990 and Eddie Hill was the elder statesman of the category at that point. And, you know, and that guy's still, you know, he still road races cars. He's a, he's like ageless. It's unbelievable. But even then, I, I, I used to love Eddie Hill watching him as a kid because I would revel in the fact that, I mean, I used to think he was an old guy. When I was 10 or 12 watching the races, I'd think, man, this guy's old. And maybe it was just the gray hair and the gray beard. But, man, he was a killer. 
he he was and he you know he carved out his own niche in our sport you know he really made a mark for the short time that he was there you know everybody kind of has their niche i was kind of the you know the young favorite he was the old favorite at the time the nuclear banana they used to call that (laughs) thing and uh i gotta tell you you know of all the places florida loved eddie hill i mean they really really did um my cheers i think when mcclellan or whatever you know went went to ask uh who do you want to win you know eddie hill or Daryl <laughs> Gwen? Ed, i'm not i'm not gonna lie to you eddie had a lot of <laughs> he had a lot of fans uh i did have a little more but uh you know eddie was a favorite and eddie was a ass kicker you know he he knew, he made his mark and uh you know everybody loved eddie and Ursi. They were a family. Uh, we were a family. I don't think anybody would have been disappointed, including, you know, us. And I got to tell you, we raced Eddie and Ursi in the final many, many times. Yes, you did. And, you don't, and we don't see, and you don't see what I'm about to tell you anymore. But, you know, when we would beat them, they would joke on us back, back and forth, vice versa. And, you know, we come back after the winter circle, you know, and there was like our trailer would be toilet papered or, <laughs> you know, there would be a handout card on the door that said, you know, some kind of message on it for Mercy and Eddie, like you're doomed or something, <laughs> you know? So like they were, they were great winners and they were great losers. And so were we at the time. And it was just, it was all fun, you know? Well, um, it was. And I mean, in your connection to your connection to Eddie, obviously he had the blow over the, the big wreck he had at the winter nationals. And it was you guys that basically allowed, provided him uh, the opportunity to have even a race car that weekend, you know? So yeah, yeah your connection to him, uh, you know, runs pretty deep long before, of course, long before that 1990 final round. Right. You know, we were, we were both families and we both dug really, really deep. And, uh, yeah, I, I had no problem doing that. That was, yeah, you know, that was just something you did back then. You know, the, the 1990 season strikes me as interesting because of the technology and the and the rules that came into play for 90. So you guys got mandated on that 320 gear in 1990 and, and also the banishment of electronic uh, clutch management. And it threw yes. some guys for a loop. Now, I'm wondering, I know that some people had gone to the pneumatic system in 89 and then they were kind of in a better shape for 90 season. So... How were you guys set up coming into 90? Had you already been on the pneumatic system, or did you have to learn that? All right, so I'll tell you a couple things here. Um, we always thought, because of this, like our car would run a lot of ET, run a great ET, but it'd run five mile an hour slower than everybody else out there. Okay. Not going not to deny it, <laughs> you know? And we saw that the speeds were getting up in 293, you know, 292, 291. And we we knew, we heard a lot of rumblings early that NHRA was going to change the rules to a 320 gear, and so we left the 320 gear. All, we all decided as a team, me and Benny, wow. my dad, we all decided let's leave the 320 in it. It doesn't matter what it takes. We're going to make the 321, so we got a head start next year. You know, we're going to make the 320 work, and and that's what we did. And then also, we took that electronic system. And Ken Vinny built a, a a a jig that we bolted on the back of the bell housing that simulated the electronic system. 
from the time you triggered the gas pedal to the time the run shut off. He, he simulated that with this jig and, and uh, a bunch of measurements. So we had a good, we, we basically took that and made our pneumatic system like that. Jeez, that's amazing. So that, yeah. So we had a, you know, a pretty ready to go system in 1990 that, uh, and this was a BR, uh, this was a Bob Brooks system at the time. Gotcha. Um, that we kind of converted partially ourselves. And, uh, you know, so we, you know, we had, uh, we had our head in the game and, and we're trying to make all the right decisions to win that championship because we'd come co- so close so many times, you know? Well, yeah. And, and obviously after winning the Gator Nationals, you guys were second in points with a bullet. I mean, you were, you were running very strong. So all that, uh, all that work you did leading up to that, leading into the season paid off because there were certainly teams that struggled. Gary Ormsby, you know, it took them almost half three quarters of the year till they finally got it right. So, yeah, well, they were going, they were going from like a, 290 gear yeah they had a bonneville gear in that thing yeah <laughs> exactly to a 320 so they really had a lot of catch up and and lee beard was very uh you know i'm not going to talk bad about lee beard lee and i are friends but lee was really he loved that speed he did it seemed as though sometimes that speed got in the way of him winning races because he just loved that speed on the board you know what i'm saying and uh you know, we we were just saying, hey, you can run that speed all you want, but we're <laughs> right. keep keep working on it. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, keep tweaking the speed. You'll see if that that's thing will right. go three thirty. Yeah, we'll, but meanwhile, right. we'll just go four ninety nine and five zero and get there first. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You got to get there quick to go fast. Yeah, that's a great way to. That's actually it's a brilliant way to put it. What kind of guy was Ken Venny like to work with? Obviously, we know as far as the NHRA on Fox team, we know Todd Venny very well. He's a pit producer for us, and he was a successful alcohol funny car racer. Um, we get a lot of Ken Venny stories through Todd telling the stories as you know the guy's son. But I'd like to know what it was like to race with Ken Venny in the crew chief role. I have known Ken Venny and Rona Venny. I've talked to him yesterday. I've known them since the mid seventies. They would come down and stay at our house. They are wonderful wonderful people Todd all of them um, but Ken you know Ken was a wizard yeah and if if Ken uh, he he had such a dry sense of humor too you know <laughs> he would just when he was on a roll like him and I work good together and but when he got really cocky and like knew exactly hey we're gonna you know like we got this game face on and he knew what he's going to do and he didn't want to be bothered. Um, he would take in, I was a, I was a, uh, I was a little OCD, right? I love my tra- <laughs> I love my trailer perfectly clean. I loved everything perfectly clean. Well, he would go down the bench as we were headed to the computer up in the front of the trailer, him and I would be headed to the computer and he'd start throwing stuff on the floor that was laying on the bench <laughs> So, basically telling him telling me okay i don't need your help on this run i know exactly <laughs> what to do so you just go clean up that mess and uh we'll be fine you know most 90 percent of the time you know we work together yeah uh but uh there was you know there was like that 10 percent when he was so confident 
that like he just said, I'm on a roll. Let me go. <laughs> yeah, let and, me go. Yeah. And listen, and I wouldn't argue because now obviously when if we're a slump or we're doing this, we work together really, really close. And, you know, everybody needs help once in a while. Absolutely. We both we work together. Um, but when he had his game face on, buddy, you better stand back and you better drive right because we're going to we're going to you know, we're going to we're going to make some noise here. Man, that's great. It's cool, and uh, and it, it totally. I'll tell you. Go I'll for tell it. you. A, I'll tell you a really funny story. This was uh, this was after my accident. So we were we were next to Lee Beard, and we were running. Yeah, we were running uh, again, like two eighty five or whatever it was, and Beard was running two hundred ninety six or whatever it was. You know. And Beard came over to Vinny. In our spark plugs, there would be nothing left of our spark plugs after a run, <laughs> but the car would would haul ass. Okay. Well, so Ormsby would be about four or five hundreds behind, but have all the the spark plug would look brand new. So we were parked next to Beard and Ormsby one day. This is a true story. And Lee Beard had the guts. Now, Lee Beard don't even come by and say hello. And I love Lee Beard. You know, he's not he's not one to come over and just say, hey, how you guys doing? You know? So he he thought it was a good idea to come over and show Ken Vinny, you know, oh God. what a what a pair of what a pair of what spark plugs look like that just ran two hundred and ninety five miles an hour. And compared to ours, you know, because there was nothing left. You could see ours from the ropes. There was nothing, <laughs> there was nothing left of them things, you know. And you could see his from the ropes. Those things were standing tall. They were, you know, they were as beautiful as we could put them in. So Beard came over and says, Ken, this is what a pair of spark plugs look like that run 295 mile an hour. And Vinny just shook his head and he said, oh, man, that is so great to know. I really appreciate you coming by and showing me that. So Sunday, they went out first round, and we're still in the game. And after first round, Vinny rings his spark plugs by to Beard and says, hey, these are what spark plugs look like to go past first round. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's spectacular. Yeah, that's great. No, that's that's totally great. And knowing uh, knowing those guys both a little bit, that's perfect. That is a great Ken Vinny. That's a great Ken Vinny story. Uh, Uh, I have I have so many like that that uh, you know over the years with uh, Ken and Rona and all of them. They're just we've made a lot of good memories together. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I find certain things about your your driving career and the way you guys approached uh, how you you know how you raced on Sundays pretty interesting. And we've we had a brief conversation about this a couple of years ago, not any just kind of in passing. But I want to ask you again here so other people can understand it. But you guys were among the last teams that that continued to do a dry burnout or a dry hop and top fuel, and you did it like years after most anybody else did. And for those of you listening to the podcast that don't know what that is, basically after you complete the regular burnout you back up and, and basically give the thing a whack again how come you guys did that for so long and and what did you glean out of it and what did it help you with okay great question the reason why that was done is because there was no fuel management back then and we had we had that bernstein armstrong combination in yes the, in the car and it was such an animal that the way we ran it 
is we just loaded it up with clutch because it was such an animal and drove it with the brake. Okay. So you had to do the dry burnout not only to put some heat in the clutch, but to if it if it just barely whisked the tires on the dry burnout, it would be okay on the run. In other words, by the time the heat you know, that put you put heat in the clutch sure. and it wore and all that, you could make the run. If not, um, you you held the brake. And basically in eighty six Seven and eight, while there was still a transmission in the car, uh, I wasn't high gear yet. Um, 90% of the races that I won, I won holding the brake because wow. you had you had to put enough clutch in it to get it down the racetrack, but you also had to get it off the starting line with the amount of clutch you had in it because, you know, otherwise it wouldn't run down the racetrack. Sure. So you loaded it up with clutch and drove it with the brake. And I could get it down. Uh, we, I remember uh, going to Memphis in 88 with the Bud car, and it was we pulled up to the starting line, and the track had just gotten finished the day before, and the starting line was white. Oh, my imagine, God. Imagine that, Brian. The starting <laughs> oh line was white. Oh, my God. And, like, they just run, like, super stalkers on it. And here they top fuel to the lanes. We pull up there, and that some bitch is white. And I said, <laughs> okay. I said, okay, here we go. Not one car got down the racetrack. We did. Next, next, uh, we were low of every round and we won the race. Wow. And, and Eddie Hill didn't qualify a lot. Of, you know, it was, it was really tough, but, uh, we had something that worked between the, you know, between the driver and then I was really comfortable holding the brake at the time. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a, it was a, a, a niche that we had that some of the other guys didn't have that, uh, you know, provided us uh, a lot of wins that we were able to capture, you know? Yeah, it's cool. I mean, and, and it's it always interested me watching those old races back going, like, man, I wonder what they're actually doing here. Because obviously there was a method to the madness, and clearly now we know what it is. But it was fascinating to me that, you know, you guys were basically the last of the Mohicans when it came to doing those, uh, to doing the to the dry hops or the dry burnouts. And, you know, it's always great to listen to those races in, in McClellan is, you know, the dry burnout. It's like, it's the whole thing is spectacular, but it's neat to understand right. the, understand the method to the madness here. My favorite story is in Pomona, um, Dale Armstrong, you know, we, uh, not to sound like we're, we were we were badass at the time, but you know, Bernstein but you were, and I, but Bernstein <laughs> and I were in a bunch of finals together. You know, we we won a lot of races together, Bernstein and I, during that time. And Dale would be up at the starting line a lot of the times when I ran, especially in the final because they were running too. You know, and uh, <clears throat> Dale, we were at the, it was at the '86 uh, World Finals. Or no, eighty yeah, eighty six World Finals, and I did the dry burnout, and I had to race a motto in the final, and a motto was really, really, really close to us all day long, and we didn't have because the track was good, and I didn't have to hold the brake, so the other okay. guys would be ca- catching up a little bit, right? So, I uh, I do the dry burnout, and it just barely, barely, barely whisked the tires, and if you watch the video from the eighty six World Finals, you'll see. As I'm pulling to the starting line, Dale Armstrong comes around and he gives me this really shitty grin. And he's <laughs> he's he kneels down next to the cockpit and he's got his fingers so close together 
that uh, like he's just telling me just to hold the brake a little bit. And I said to myself as I'm pulling to the start, and I said, and I even shook my head at him. I said, Dale, I've listened to every advice you've ever given me, but I'm not holding the brake this <laughs> run because I knew if I held the brake, I wasn't going to win the race. Yeah. I knew it because we, Ramada was so close and I didn't hold the brake and we won the race by a foot. Ooh, man, that's and awesome. That's the, that's the only time I didn't listen to Dale. And, and all my other crew members, they all came around, you know, with their fingers. It's really, really close together, like hold it a little, 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 little. Yeah. I said, nope, I'm not doing it. Man, how cool is that? And Dale Armstrong, I mean, just uh, it's it's impossible to really sum up that guy's brilliance. You know, I you, you hear the stories, and I had, I was fortunate to do some stuff with him before he passed away several years ago. But just uh, an incredible man, and and a guy who who do, does what it takes. Yeah, exactly. Does what it takes. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. But one of the other ex- kind of things I wanted to explore with you in your career, and because it's. Every every person has a different relationship with this guy, and that guy's Don Garlitz. And you know, Don called you the wolf, and you you know, obviously there's the Florida connection there between the two of you. But during your career, and obviously as we mature and as life goes on, things change, everybody gets older and stuff. But describe if you can, like your relationship with Don Garlitz through the formative years of your career, you know, up until obviously 1990, because. I find it fascinating because Don is a fascinating man and he's not a guy who's the easiest guy to get along with and everybody has their own kind of thing with right. Don Garlitz. What was what was yours? He was a fierce, fierce competitor. Even when we were racing the electric dragsters. The guy <laughs> the guy would carry his time slips in his pocket and <laughs> and look at him all day long when we were oh racing those electric dragsters. I mean he just reminded me of how fierce he was back in the day. You know, Garlitz and my dad and I and my mom and Pat, we all go back, and Gay and Lynn, we all grew up racing together. You know, Garlitz used to stay at our house in the 70s in the next bedroom for me. Him and Herb would sleep in the next bedroom over uh, our, our spare bedroom. And, uh, you know, as a kid, knowing that Don Garlitz is in the room next to you, 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 <laughs> right. you, don't, get, you don't get much sleep. Yeah, Babe but, Ruth. Uh, you got Babe Ruth in your house, basically. Right, right. Yeah. Right. And... Uh, I've seen God, I've seen him race so many times over the years and the stuff he has done. And, you know, he's, he's, he's an incredible guy. And I've got some, you know, I never thought that uh, I would even be able to be in a position to race him much less, you know, be competitive with him. But him and I, you know, we've had our, we've had our battles, you know, I mean, we've never gotten any, uh, you know, duking matches, but the guy's so fierce that, uh, I can tell you it got heated from time to time because he took this stuff so seriously, you know, um, to the point where if you outran him, like he was, you couldn't talk to him. (laughs) No, 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 no. And we, I got a couple good garlic stories. I don't know how much time we have. We got all the time uh, in the world, man. Trust me. This is the internet. We can do whatever we want around here. (laughs) Well, I, I tell you, I'll never forget. There's this, and I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a pro stock guy in the seven or in the eighties. He had a little son, and it was like eleven or twelve years old. And this kid ended up dying on a motorcycle accident many years later. I think it was, I don't want to say if it's Don Campanella's son or another guy's son, okay. but he uh, he was a big fan of mine. He was a young kid. And he was from the New Jersey, New York area. Gotcha. You know? 
So, you know, I, I didn't know much about him, but he was wearing my T-shirt because he was a big fan. And uh, next thing I know, um, I hear all this rumbling in the pits. Well, this kid took it upon himself at 12 years old to when Garlitz's car was being towed through the staging lanes up to the starting line. This kid took it upon himself to throw a water balloon in the truck <laughs> at, at, at Herb and Dodd. And the kids got my shirt on. Oh, no. <laughs> and so they're looking for this kid all day, right? So we're like, what? You know, we had no idea. We didn't send him to do it, honestly. I swear we did not. And uh, so at the end of the day, we're like, nobody can find this kid. He disappeared. Well, up in the front of our trailer, on the outside of our trailer, was a little sink between the where the tractor hooks up and the trailer hooks up. So at the end of the day, we're up there washing our hands, and we look down under the truck, and this kid is hiding <laughs> under our truck, and he's been there all day. Chris, oh, Chris, Cun Chris Cunningham sees him down there, and he goes, you little son of a bitch. You caused us all kinds of problems today. Get your ass out here. <laughs> so we so we brought him over to Garlitz, you know, to try and settle this thing. And, and Herb, I'll never forget this. Herb has the water balloon when they threw it in the truck. It didn't break. Oh. <laughs> so Herb still had it. So Herb takes this water balloon and wants to teach this guy, this little 11-year-old kid, a lesson. And I'm trying to make sure that Herb and Don know that I had nothing to do yeah, with right. it. So, so, I, so I'm standing there being a stand-up guy. I'm standing there going, look, I didn't know anything about this. You guys, let's handle it with this kid right now. Let's get this over with, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's not like I just, you know, deserted the kid, you know. So Herb proceeds to whip this kid in the face with this water balloon. Oh. And the water balloon would not break and would not <laughs> break. And he kept whipping him in the face with this water. And it just, bam, 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 bam. And it wouldn't break. And Herb's getting madder and madder because this balloon wouldn't break. Anyways, they they taught him a, you know, a, a hell of a lesson. And, you know, the kid got us in all kinds of trouble. But, it, you know, those kind of things oh, fired, great. fired Garlitz up. And he was a very... Garlitz and Herb, I'll tell you another story. They were very, they had an old, old-fashioned way of motivating each other. Okay. And the, I've seen this more than once, but I'll tell you what Herb did the night before. The, and I don't think many people know this. The night before the Garlitz blowover, Herb and Garlitz used to always close the door on Garlitz's trailer at the end of the night. Okay? It's fifth wheel. They'd lift it up. Boom. We're going home. They'd lift it up. Underneath the trailer door, Herb had put a scoreboard with crayon, white big crayons, underneath the trailer door. Okay. As, as big as the trailer door. And Garlitz and I were racing every run. We were paired up together, every run in English town. We would try and sneak out the back 
of our trailer and haul ass in the staging lane, Garlitz would pull up next to us. He wanted to run us. Every run, he wanted to run us. Wow. Uh, it was just a thing he had. And so Friday night, I want to say, yeah, Friday night, I beat him both runs in qualifying. And, in, like you know, those big, big crayons. Oh, it yeah. Said when, he, when he lifted the door, it said, Gwen, two, two slash marks. Garlitz, zero. <laughs> and that's what Garlitz went to bed with. Wow. That's what Garlitz went to bed with. And the next run, he blew it over backwards. Holy cow. That's a true story. Man, that's wild. Yeah, so he was laying there staring at the ceiling all night with his jaw clenched saying this is not going to this is not going to be a 3-0 situation here. Holy no. cow. Nope. Man, that's that, awesome. That that <laughs> 100% happened. And uh, while I'm on a roll, I got one more garlic story. Go for it. Um the final of 86 Dallas. We were running the table speed and et uh for you know it's the first uh, race at the motorplex all concrete of course and our car was just really hauling ass and uh we pulled the the final got postponed for a couple few hours because of rain we go up there for the final and my car had been very very ill handling at the finish line all day because there was high winds and the car was, you know, it was a short car and it was really making some moves on the other end. It didn't have a big wing on it and it was hard to drive. It was, it was a handful. Yikes. Okay. Uh, I was swapping lanes almost at the finish line. Oh, yikes. Okay. <laughs> like Garlitz gave me, I'll get back to that story, but because of that car, how out of control it was in, in, in Dallas, he inducted me. Him and Herb inducted me into the Sons of Danger. I don't, do you <laughs> I, know, do you no, know, I don't know. I don't know what that even is. The Sons of Danger, and I asked many years afterwards, and you can ask Garlitz, but it had something to do with either Emery Cook or Don Cook. Uh, I think it was Don Cook making some crazy driving thing or whatever. They presented me with a Sons of Danger T-shirt. He says, you and me, and Cook are the only ones that got these things because <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, they had this. Anyways. Wow. So the car was really out of tro- control. And I was actually not scared, but I was a little worried going into the final round because, it, you know, the track wasn't going to be the same. And nighttime and the winds were blowing past the grandstands. And I figured I was going to end up, you know, in the garlic at the finish line type thing, you know. So I was a little worried about that. And so we pull up there and – the car won't Chris had put a little too much gas in it, I think, and it wouldn't start. So we had to back the motor down. So Garlitz is as his car, the cars as we were starting them, his car was a little further ahead than mine was. I could see them as okay. I looked over. They were, I looked over and as we're having a hard time starting our car and backing it down and, you know, and the announcer's going, Oh, you know, they're good. They're not, they can't start the car or whatever. Next thing I know, I see Herb put his head in the in the uh, the the glass there and said, 
you know, and I saw him just say something to Garlitz. Next thing I know, they fire that thing up. Garlitz did not wait for me oh. one second. Wow. Now, here we are, buddies and rivals. He did not wait. And I was about a tenth, probably faster than he was, a tenth and a half maybe. <clears throat> he did not wait. So the little Daryl at 24 years old, <laughs> I I got a little, uh, you know, excited. And I'm like, son, you know, I couldn't – not only could I – couldn't believe he didn't wait, but I – you know, I was nervous and everything else. Listen, bottom line, I learned a very, very, very valuable lesson that I never let get to me again. And I'm glad it happened early in my career. And that is, I, I shouldn't have, I should have done my normal routine and not got out of my, you know, my, my game, but I did. And he left on me and that was it. The, the run was over and he beat me. And about 14 years later, I always wanted to know what what transpired. Yeah. When Herb when Herb put his head in the thing in the you know in the, under the uh, the canopy. Cockpit. Yeah. Canopy is what I'm trying to say. And so we were in Cracker Barrel in Ocala. I'm on my way to Gainesville. Me and Garlitz are having lunch, and one I got some of my crew members with me from that day from those days, and. One of my crew members said, and I didn't even think about it at the time, Tony says, uh, hey, Don, I got a question for you. I've been curious for about 10 or 15 years. When Herb, and I always thought it was Herb, okay, I thought Herb reached in and said, hey, let's fire this thing up. You know, they're having problems over there. I just knew that's what it was in my mind. <clears throat> but my, my buddy Tony says, Carlos, what did Herb say when he reached his head in there and asked, you know, told you what was going on with us? He said, hey, Gwen's over there. He's having a problem with his car, and it won't start. What do you want to do? He says, I'll tell you exactly what I told him. He said, fire this son of a bitch up. We don't have a chance. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I'm like, you bastard. <laughs> You know, you, yeah, he, he didn't have a, he did not have a, not one iota shyness about even bringing it up. He just said right to the core. We didn't have a chance. I told him, well, that's fired up. And I'm like, holy crap. After 14 or 15 years, I find this out. Yeah. That's hilarious. I mean, it's it's great and it fits the mold right because he was the guy that would do stuff like he would try to back in the day i've heard read the, the stories about him they would dump some oil in, in one or two of the uh and one or two of the zoomies and it would burn off and people would think the engine was hurt i was idling on the starting line i mean he did have a good handle on the psychological end of things and uh i guess any yeah. advantage you can get wow he 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 uh he not only did that but he created he was so good that he created his own luck and that's what I was trying to get to was go down the racetrack every time, be competitive, let everybody else screw up. And that's the mold that he created and won so many good won so many races with. And it seems to be the mold that Steve Torrance uh, is running in over the last five years now. I mean, just what they've done. It's it, it, exactly what you said in terms of 
we maintain our composure, do exactly what we do, and go down the racetrack and let everybody else try to figure it out. And and it worked for Don Garlitz, and it still works for Steve Torrance. Yeah, and and Don Garlitz, it didn't matter where he qualified. When when he won Indy in '86, the guy qualified 16th. <laughs> I qualified. I qualified first. Yeah, he wins the race. I mean, you know, you just if, if that guy got past first round, just you know, and we were we were trying to emanate that and we were starting to because if we got past if we got past first round we were badass too yeah but first round was always the doozy and um you know he just was he was the master yes he was and uh an incredible guy and he'll be part of the 51st gator nationals this coming weekend as you will be uh we know you'll be down there are you going to be there all three days i know there's the hall of fame on thursday night kind of what's your program over the weekend i know you have your traditional track walk on sunday but uh walk me through where we can find daryl Gwynn this weekend at the gators well i think they're going to put us uh, where they normally put us across from the beer garden of all places uh in the pit area behind the grandstands and i'll have my uh you know some of my souvenirs there and we're also going to have a silent auction for uh you know under a tent there for some items that uh the miami project uh daryl gwynn chapter owns that we're going to try and raise some money with some very cool racing items and uh we'll have the track walk on sunday you can buy your tickets um right there at our booth perfect uh under the red tent and um we you know the track walk is something special to us it's something we created uh many years ago and thought it would be a great way to intermingle with the fans and uh, let them go down that prestigious quarter mile. And I'm going to call it a quarter mile because it is, man. That's the, that's uh, that's one of my favorite racetracks in the country. And uh, that place means a lot. And I was there on opening day and uh, I'll be there uh, this weekend. Well, Daryl Gwynn, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come hang out with us here in the NHRA Insider. Great stories, great insight into your career, and uh, let's not make this the last time we hang out on the uh, on the virtual airwaves. I'd love to get back with you and, and have you back on the show and pick your brain even more. Sounds good, man. I love telling all the old good old stories. Thanks, Daryl. I will see you this weekend at the Gator Nationals. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, guys. One of the all-time greats behind the wheel, one of the all-time greats as far as the stories go, and I can't wait to talk to Daryl Gwynn again here on the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is so, so great to talk to. Another guy that I'm interested in speaking to is Greg Anderson. Had himself a banner weekend at the World Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando last weekend. A runner-up finish to Greg Anderson, but more important than that, a car that is very much back in the competitive mode after a couple of early round exits over the first two races. Greg Anderson, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast once again. Doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing really well. The reason I wanted to catch up with you, and I know you got a real busy couple of days on your hands here getting ready for Gainesville, is uh, you guys had a great performance last weekend at the World Door Slammer Nationals, a runner-up finish for you, a very strong look by all the KB cars, and I just wanted to talk to you because the first couple races for you did not seem to be going according to the playbook, and it seems like whatever was ailing you has been identified and repaired. Yeah, definitely. Definitely made huge strides here. We... uh... I guess we're just starting our season over. We're going to forget about Pomona and Phoenix. I guess we weren't ready to start. It taught us a lot. It taught us a lot we were doing wrong. So we thought for a couple of weeks. We made, we made a lot of changes to the race cars. We uh, worked on our engines some, and it all kind of came together. We went down and tested for a couple of days before the Door Slammer Nationals and really got a pretty good handle on it and, and basically closed the gap a whole bunch on the elite group. So 
it looked pretty ugly after Pomona and Phoenix, but certainly looks a whole lot more promising now. And proud of the work the guys have done. Obviously, more work to do, but at least we've learned the direction now that we were off in and the direction we need to go. So we'll continue trying to do that. In general terms, was this a situation of making one change that, that set you on course, or is it a situation of a couple of small changes started to turn the ship a little bit, or is this literally like a light switch moment that you went, aha? Well, we kind of had a pretty good feeling after we left Phoenix what we were mainly doing wrong race car-wise, and we were a little bit lost with our engines. So basically we made the changes race car-wise that we thought we made it needed to make. And in a long story short, we just – we, we were not able to get a hold of the racetrack in Pomona, Phoenix, and we didn't quite have the, the racetrack prep that we had planned on or hoped for and wanted, and we couldn't adapt, and we just couldn't make quality runs. We, we couldn't get hooked to the racetrack, so we had a lot of changes to the race cars to try and get more bite in the cars and, and, and hook up better, and, and don't get me wrong, we went to the door slammer national. We certainly had you know a whole lot more track prep to deal with, so it helped our problem, but it, it still tells us you know mainly what we're doing wrong and what we need to work on need to find a way to get grip in the race cars. So that's what we worked on all week. Got them better. And as I say, closed the gap. We also made some major changes engine-wise and, and, and learned a few things that way. So now we know what to do going forward that way and should be able to make that better too. So I think it's going to be an uphill, an uphill gain from here. And, and uh, as I say, change the, close the gap a whole bunch from, from uh, what we had at Pomona and Phoenix. We're not where we need to be yet, but a whole lot closer and absolutely a chance to win again. Yeah, and I think the most impressive thing from, from me, just from a looking at the results standpoint, is that it wasn't just your car. You guys were able to implement these these changes, implement these uh, fixes, if you will, across the whole fleet. And for you, as the guy who kind of has his name above the door of this whole thing, um, that has to make be ultimately satisfying to know that not only you, but the rest of the whole crew with KB Power under the KB umbrella is coming in with the same fight and chance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had six cars under the KB umbrella down there, and all six cars ran well. And, and you know, give you six chances to win any given weekend. So felt great about that. Made the customers a whole lot more happy. They were certainly a little disappointed after the first couple of races. So happy customers makes for it's like a happy wife makes for a happy <laughs> wife. So that helped a bunch, and, and uh, you know, everybody on the team, from the from the, the the team itself to the customers that we have, the great customers we have, everybody left there with a smile on their face. So. Looking forward to digging it in again this weekend in Gainesville. You know, one of those customers is uh, a new guy. Not necessarily a new guy, but a new kid. You got you got Kenny Koretsky's son, Kyle, uh, in a KB-powered KB Camaro with the Nitro Fish colors on it. And how about this kid? He comes out and starts ripping off 40s and obviously proving himself. You know, it's not his first day on the job. He's race comp eliminator and stuff, but um, seems to be very much coming out of the gate swinging here and doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. I'm telling you what, I, I'm so impressed with the kid. This this kid is going to be a real wheel man. He's going to be the real deal. And, you know, really didn't know what to expect. He'd never driven a clutch car before. He'd driven a lot of race cars, but, but never even a clutch-driven car. So whole completely different change for him. And I'm telling you, from the first time he sat in the car, the first burnout he made, the first run he made, he looked like a, a grizzled veteran. So incredible. And I'm very proud of him. And, and we have absolutely no worries about the future for this kid. He's uh, he's got a bright future. He's going to be a great addition to our team, and he's seriously going to be a threat. It's he's the real deal. Kind of one of the interesting things about the race last weekend in Orlando was the fact that you guys did a, a chip draw for your uh, for your round one elimination pairings. That was kind of an interesting change of pace for you. It was. It was kind of cool, and it's neat to have something different and. And you just never know what you're going to get, and you're 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 doing all you can do through qualifying. And you feel great, making great runs, and 
you know, one of our team cars, Matt Hartford, laid down a bomb and ended up on the pole with a 646, and, and, and it earns him nothing as to race Jason Line first up. So <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, and that, that's what it's all about. And, and, and you just, and honestly, when you get to an NHRA race anyway, the cars are so doggone close that yeah. first round is like a final round matchup anyway, anymore, no matter who you match up with. So really wasn't that. That out of the ordinary, you know, who you were going to race and your chances to win first round. So it's a neat deal, a neat twist. And, uh, you know, we'll try stuff like that again in the future. It was, it was cool, but there were certainly no drawbacks from it. No, absolutely not. It made for a very entertaining show. Uh, one last question before I let you get out of here and go back to go back to your life is in Gainesville, we're looking at a weather forecast that's saying, you know, between 84 and maybe 88 degrees on Sunday. The stuff that you guys have worked on and really not just you, but across the pro stock board, maybe all the teams, do those still do those things still apply when we get onto what will be likely the hottest racetrack you guys have seen in months. I mean, this will be in in theory hotter than anything you saw during the countdown. Certainly warmer than anything you've seen at the start of this year. So, does the do the gains you make in a situation where you have ideal weather conditions and maybe a much cooler racetrack still translate to what will be much hotter conditions on race day in Gainesville? I think it'll translate because you'll still have you know the same basic NHRA track prep that we've had to deal with the first couple of races. You still got that. You'll have hotter temperatures. The cars will be a little bit down on power just because of the hotter temperatures. So it'll kind of even out, and it'll still be the same game plan. You're still going to have to find a way to, to, to match up with the racetrack and, and, and get the best grip you can on the racetrack, and, and you know that'll lead towards success. So same game plan, but if you remember back, I can. It seems like every year when we come to that first very, very hot racetrack, and whether it be the third race in, the fifth race in, whatever it be, the first crack at the hot racetrack, people usually struggle. Yes. The good news for us is when we tested it pre- previous to the Door Slammer Nationals on Wednesday and Thursday, it was 90 degrees. Okay. So we got a couple days practice at it, so I feel good about that. And we'll see if that helps us this weekend. Well, man, I appreciate you carving some time out for us. Again, I was really interested in just getting a hold of you and uh, and catching up after after your resurgence down there in uh, in Orlando. So, all the best to you this weekend. I will see you in a uh, in a sweaty, warm Gainesville environment, and you guys will have a half dozen cars with KB power under the hood when we get to the Gator Nationals. Thanks, Greg. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Brian. Always great to hear from Greg Anderson, a swift moving conversation there, which is great. Just wanted to really kind of get down and dirty a little bit with him to figure out what their modus operandi is. And obviously they have found the things they needed to find in order to get those cars squared up where they need to be in terms of being competitive. It was kind of shocking to see that gap that developed over the course of those first couple races. And we saw it close up to almost nothing last weekend in Orlando. We're going to find out how the heat treats these cars. We know it'll slow them down a little. We're going to find out how the teams deal with it and how they maximize their performance on what promises to be a warm weekend down in what Don Garlitz used to call swampy old Florida. If you're going to be at the Gator Nationals and you're a Top Eliminator Club member, make sure you swing in to the Top Eliminator Club at 1.30 p.m. on Saturday for a special conversation I'll be having with Don Garlitz and Shirley Muldowney. It promises to be fun, it promises to be eye-opening, and it promises to bring up some of the greatest memories and stories from two of the greatest drag racers who have ever lived. Thanks for tuning in to this nice, fun version of the NHRA Insider Podcast, reliving the great days of his career with Daryl Gwynn and getting a bit of insight into the world of pro stock drag racing with Greg Anderson who looks to claim his first victory of the season 
at the Gator Nationals. 51st running of the Amelie Oil Gator Nationals this weekend. If you can't be there to see it live, make sure you go to NHRA.com and double down, check the TV schedule, make sure your DVR is set for those late evening broadcasts as we are in the middle of March Madness basketball season. Our schedule moves around a little bit on TV, but it will settle out soon enough. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another NHRA Insider Podcast.